From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Uh, it's been a little while since we've been in this room and it is good to see everyone. How is everybody today? Is everyone good? Excellent. Yes. Excellent, excellent. The way you said that was really excellent. intriguing. Yes. They excellent. kind of had the Spanish side of it, and then I was like, this is the English podcast that we do. That's true, that's true. Uh, I need to uh, introduce us. I am Scott Armstrong, but to my right is AJ Fry. Hey, guys. To his right is Natalie Franco. Hello. To my left is Emily Armstrong. Hey, everyone. And last and never least, Chelsea Fry. Fun facts with Chelsea. Fun fact, there's enough gold inside Earth to coat the entire planet. Whoa. Really? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was the desired effect that she wanted to bring with that fun fact. Sparkly. Sparkly gold. <laughs> yeah. That's Chelsea's favorite color. Gold yeah. sparkle. Gold sparkle. Mm-hmm. Not wait, just gold. Wait, 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 wait. There's a color named gold sparkle? Of course there, there is. is now. You're living there's in 2022. There's a finger polish called that, so Okay. Because it's not just gold, not just like a, a plain no, gold color. It's, like it's got a sparkle, like it's got <laughs> glitter in it. Oh. Gold sparkle. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I, 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 I go, I go, I'm immediately thinking like, that's interesting. Even I'm, I'm going to over spiritualize this, but like oh. thinking of the streets of gold, like yeah. there literally would be enough to pave the streets of gold. Yeah, yeah, it's not even like like a thin coating on the entire earth. It's 1.5 feet. Whoa. All oh, the way around. That's really? what I was going to ask. Is it like a thin candy shell, like an M&M? <laughs> no, no, no. Like a just really like good chocolate bar. <laughs> no, yeah. One and a half feet. Yeah. One and a half feet of chocolate. I mean gold. Right, right. right. <laughs> chocolate covered earth. Hey, there you go. <laughs> well, this is, this is a, a fun fact we will not forget. I, I, even theologically, I'm starting to wrestle with what this could mean. <laughs> yeah, <that's already laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And thank you, Emily. Speaking of my next blog. Um, That's what happens after over 20 years of marriage. Absolutely. We think alike. Uh, I have written an article and the article is, is entitled 13 observations on the recent statistics for 2021. Now that sounds boring. I know. And every time we do one of these, uh, one of these episodes, it's like on statistics, even AJ, I, I was talking to you and I was like, we can't call this episode 2021 stats. That's terrible, you know? And so anyway, (laughs) the idea is though that this ends up being to me, one of our most interesting episodes. Why? Because the church of the Nazarene, we are a a podcast that deals with missions that deals with a healthy church. And we're of course, part of the denomination known as the church of the Nazarene. They have put out stats for 2021. And so we are recording this podcast. And in a few weeks from now, uh, this will come out, but there are lots of observations. Now, some of you even dove in further uh, into the stats, uh, but at least the observations, whenever I write this article, it's the design is, is that our readers would not have to visit the site and look through, what was it, 48 pages, Chelsea? You were looking through a lot of them. I think yeah, it was I like- I kind of went through all of them. Yeah, you went through all of them. Well, but then. anyway, um, hey, let's just, let's just dive in after all. Um, let's just kind of ask what jumped out at you either from my article gleaning from the statistics or from you all just pouring through those statistics as well. 
Yeah, I can start. Um, one of the things that Scott drew out of this article um, and out of the stats that I found very encouraging, actually, is we have two world regions that are like setting the pace for growth in our denomination. And those two regions are Africa and Asia Pacific. And when I read that, I thought that's really exciting because for a long time, those were considered like uh, the most unreached people groups, which still they are the most unreached people groups. If you think about um, missiologically, I don't know if you guys have heard of the 1040 window, but um, it's the basic uh, geographical area that falls between the, no, help me out here, Scott, geography, latitudes or longitudes? Uh, latitudes. Latitudes. I'm terrible with the difference of those things, but the <laughs> latitudes on the globe, it falls between 10 degrees and 40 degrees. So it's like the north of Africa and it goes across in to the Asia and the Pacific regions. Um, but when we as a church are experiencing the most growth out of all of the other regions in those regions, to me, and I don't think the statistics, I did not dive all the way into 48 pages, <laughs> but I don't think it broke it down by like countries and how the countries are growing. It stayed more on that regional uh, mentality. But I have to believe that there's a lot of growth that's taking place in the unreached people mm. groups. And I also know that we have some missionary activity in that area. However, to me, it shows that there's a church that's becoming very mature in those regions because the church is growing at a more than a, a natural pace. They mm -hmm. are being intentional. They're church planting in Africa and Asia Pacific. And so for me, it's super exciting to be a part of a denomination that is growing in the areas where the most people live, mm -hmm. but also the areas where there are the most unreached people groups. And I wonder how accurate that stat is, because I imagine there's some numbers that they're, they can't report like right. that. So like- exactly. You're seeing a growth, but how much extra growth is there really? That's exciting. Yeah, because some of those areas include persecuted church, include mm -hmm. underground church, and they're not keeping stats at yeah. all on any of that right. kind of stuff. So, right. I mean, sometimes here in the Dominican Republic, there's a joke about like whatever a stat is times it by seven, and it's probably <laughs> what the reality nice. is, you know, like of, of a COVID number or something like that. And I kind of wonder if yeah. this church growth would be something like that. What would you times it by to have more of a realistic number? Yeah. Yes, and I found this really interesting. Um, and make me remember when we went uh, to third wave in India mm -hmm. um, and we had a part, we were talking, they were talking about countries with creative access. And it was beautiful to see how God is opening up the ways, even in countries where, where Christianity, it is not like an easy way. Right. Um, and I remember we had the blessing to have there were like two of them missionaries from uh, Asia Pacific region, and they were talking about their ways to do missions in, in Asia Pacific. And they were saying pretty much how hard it was for them because they had to invest themselves to mm. people. They, have, they had to invest in relationship. And sometimes it took one to two years, even more, yeah. to have one person to come to Jesus Christ. Mm. But it makes me realize how important it is. They couldn't get to the temples, but how important it is to invest ourselves in others. And yeah. they were saying, this is what we have been doing. We have meetings like we have, like Jesus were doing. We share 
food we we go out with them as just friendships and we invest ourselves in them mm. and that way they come to Christ yeah and it was something beautiful and I think it, it's something as you were saying we cannot count these we don't have that in the stats but it is something that God is doing through discipleship which is um, intentional long-term relationship and invest yeah. ourselves to others awesome one thing that um, I want to look at, and maybe I'm a little obsessed with this particular stat. You are. I, maybe. Um, one thing I like to look at is how we're spending our money. I know that it's not about money, that we shouldn't focus on money. But I do think that where we spend our money as a denomination or as a region speaks a lot to where our focus is. And one thing I noticed here, I scroll down and I look at property values in the different regions. And... Uh, the Mesoamerica region. So by the way, Mesoamerica is from Mexico down through Panama and then all the Caribbean. Yeah. So the Mesoamerica region reported for local churches, their property value is around 160 million. I'm assuming that's U.S. dollars. Yes. And the Africa region uh, reports about almost 50 million dollars in property values but we see here that africa has the most members and the most growth just compare this to like the united states and canada they have 5.5 billion dollars mm -hmm. in in property local church property i just find that that's very outstanding and i scroll down a little bit further to like church indebtedness like how much in debt the local churches are africa with 401,000. Mesoamerica with three three point two million, uh, USA Canada way above that four hundred eighty some million. But he, here's what I take away from this: Africa has the least amount of property value, the least amount of debt, but the most growth and the most members. Hmm. Here's my takeaway: the church is not the building. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> like that's just staggering to me how how we can have so many buildings and so much property, I understand that, that, that some churches use their building and their property in very creative ways and don't just use it for uh, services. And I'm all for that, 100% for that. But I'm wondering how many of our congregations around the world just use their building and property for services. I would guess that it's about 1% use it for more than just services. That would be my guess. I could be wrong, but... This is just staggering to me how I want, I want to see more growth in churches, but that may mean getting rid of some of our property and some, some of our buildings. Yeah. I think there's an interesting um, thought process of when you start to see that much property and even dollars in property maintenance. To me, I start to think through like the church of the Nazarene is a denomination that's 120 ish years old now. I'm not going to do the math right off the top of my head, but pretty close to that. Um, and so we are a church that was creating infrastructure as we were grow growing and how we're at a place now where we've talked about on this podcast, even how COVID is moving us into more of like a digital age. And so even as we see currency conversations turn into Bitcoin and stuff like that in the world around us, it makes me wonder how much the church is going to have to say, well, 
property is not necessarily where we have a lot of our mm-hmm. money anymore. Like we're mm-hmm. going to move to some digital stuff and it'll be interesting. It's interesting for me that our generation will be a part of seeing a transition take place. And so um, thanks, thanks for bringing that up because mm-hmm. I think that we are seeing that we have built lots of infrastructure, but what yeah. do we continue to do with building infrastructure? But it looks like very different in digital realms. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that is super interesting because I have some friends in the Africa region and they were talking to me about their biggest, one of their biggest issues is that they don't have enough pastors Mm -hmm. because of how fast the explosion of like membership and growth is happening. They have the average pastor is pastoring like seven churches. Wow. Can you imagine seven churches? It's insane. They just don't have enough. And so, but, but you have to have it like, even I'm just going to pause there. Like that means you can't have the traditional view that we have in the West of a pastor that takes, that does everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so that brings me to a different stat that, uh, that brought attention to me. Um, in our denomination, we have two tracks for ordination, elder and deacon. When AJ and I were in process to be ordained, we were told the difference is elder preaches, deacon doesn't. Like that's the main difference. But I think maybe we're missing a large opportunity Mm. to empower pastors who don't have a call to preach, but have a call to do ministry. Because the stat is, so in the last 10 years, while we've ordained 2,855 elders, which is great. That's 2,800 more pastors. Awesome. We've only ordained 31 deacons. Mm. And I feel like when we're talking about someone doing multi-church ministry or um, reshaping the role of a pastor, and we're taking the focus off of a building, if we're saying like, let's, let's focus more in community outreach, that deacon role has a lot to offer us, mm. a lot of possibilities. And so I think the the church has the opportunity to invest in a lot more pastors. And so like mm. if we took those property values that we were talking about, this is how my brain works. This is why I went through all the stats. If we took the like money that we're investing in property and instead invested it in new Nazarene pastors, right? Like these new, mm. cause there's licensed ministers too. There's 1,944 in the last 10 years, we have new licensed ministers. If we would invest in them to get the education necessary to become mm. elders or deacons, to, to elevate their level of, of education in the pastorate, how cool would that be? Yeah. That would be yes. powerful yeah. for the church. And then it would probably trickle down. They would invest in more people that would become licensed ministers. It would be this whole chain effect. Mm. Instead of investing in properties, we're investing in pastors. Yeah. And we're not viewing pastors as the prime, their primary thing that they're supposed to do is preach. Correct. Exactly. Right. right. Um, I, I do want to clarify something as I looked over the stats, it's the increase in the last 10 years is 31. Some might say, oh, well, that means there have only been 31 that have been ordained as deacons, but that also includes deaths or people that were removed as deacons okay, combined with. So, um, or change their credentials or, to elder or change their credentials to, to elder. And so again, there have probably been more people ordained as elders than, than uh, Chelsea cited, but also more people uh, ordained as deacons. But there have been plenty. The overall increase, the point remains, the overall increase has been very minimal in 10 years, mm-hmm. 31 in yeah. an, as an increase in deacons. 
And I think part of that, as Chelsea, you were talking, the, you know, as we really start to view lay people as like, hey, you're equipped, you have a call, you, God could use you in a powerful way to lead, you know, and it may not be the traditional in front of everyone preaching, you know, it caused me to think again, and something we've talked about in this podcast so many times, it caused me to think about youth. And one of the things that jumped out at me is how really membership in the three primary ministries. Now, remember in the church of the Nazarene, we have many ministries, but the three that are actually included in our manual and, um, you know, and, and I would say the three core ministries are Nazarene missions, international NMI, Nazarene youth international NYI and Sunday school and discipleship ministries SDMI. Okay. Now I know, uh, for a, podcast medium, like just using a bunch of acronyms is not always helpful. So I think from here on out, I think we can just say youth or missions stats have gone down, you know, or, or youth stats have gone down, but that's where I'm going with this. The last decade, negative 9.11% NYI or youth membership has gone down. Now mm. I know as we, as I sent this article out to everyone and the, and the observations, I know that there have been people that have responded to the blog and have said, what, and, and of all the observations like that se- has seemed to jump out to a lot of people. Did it jump out to any of you? Yeah, I think of course it's going to jump out yeah. to any of us. It yeah. should, if it doesn't, yeah. we're sure probably be. don't have a pulse. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's concerning. I honestly tried to usually have like a really great spin on some of these things of like, well, here's the things that you can turn around. Here are the things that maybe we should do. And I feel like we've done a lot of podcasts on that kind of stuff. Um, However, Scott, you wrote something in the blog that you wrote and uh, you talked about an entire strategy that we used. And I remember the video. I remember it was shown all over the place and it had like lots of different children and young people that were between the ages of four and 14. This was about 18, 20 years ago probably yeah and they just had Mm -hmm. um all of these Mm -hmm. children and teenagers that that said you're losing us you're losing us you're losing us and they were like Mm -hmm. hey let's wake up you know like it's time it's time to get this generation we're not gonna lose them and uh so to read these statistics 10 years later and be like you know scott wrote it i think it was very poetic so i'm just gonna read what he wrote it says without a radical rewiring of our church mentality and practice you're losing us intended to be a rallying crowd will end up being prophetic mm-hmm. and it that is like what it is and so the rewiring mm. of the church again i already talked about like we're moving into a digital age our young people have to have something that they connect with in the way that they relate in the way that they like they relate with each other digitally they need to be able to relate with god in a digital manner manner they need to understand what relationship looks like in the church they need to feel a part of something bigger than themselves they need an authentic community I think a lot of young people are like, you guys talk a whole lot, but I don't mm. see a whole lot. And mm. young people don't have time for that anymore. Like mm-hmm. there's way too much taking up space in their schedules to have a church that's like, well, we talk a really good talk about justice, but really we're not a just people. We're not gonna you know, follow those paths. And and I think young people are just like, well, you either got it or you, you don't. And um, for me, it's sad to think that there's a generation that is walking away from Jesus. We can say that they're like not a part of the church. The church is a tool that God is using to reach 
every single generation. So it's not that the church is losing, quote unquote, right? Like they are saying, I don't want a part yeah. of what I see the church reflecting. Yeah. And that to me is what is very sad. And, and I agree, Scott, with the words that you wrote in the blog. We need a radical rewiring because it's yeah. not just a, hey, let's have a really nice youth service. Like yep. that's mm -hmm. not it anymore. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. not changing your youth service. Right. It's not being more engaged with like one hour of, of lessons a week. We need to find the new way forward and start practicing it so that young people find something in church, in Jesus, that they can't find anywhere else. And right now they're just not finding it. Yeah. I think that's interesting because like our podcast is about missions and culture and the church. And we have several episodes on engaging youth. Yes. And so like the DNA of the church has to be focused on these teenagers. And I know that sounds like the teens get all the attention. <laughs> maybe they do. The kids and the teens, maybe they're the ones that need it. If we read scripture truthfully, and we know the stats that people are making a decision for Christ between four and 14, and then outside that window, it is nearly impossible to convince someone to change their mind. I'm a testimony of, of the changing of the mind. So like I, I, I get the desire to reach those people, but we should put most of our focus in that four to 14 range. Mm -hmm. You could extend it four to 18 and, and, and hope for the best, right? Like, but, but if we're focusing on our 80 somethings, we're fighting a losing battle. They've already made a decision. They should already be deep rooted in the church. They should know the things of Christ. And so, why wouldn't we rewire the way we focus? I mean, I, it just blows my and mind. And even the strategies that we used, I don't know, 15 years ago when I was a youth, <laughs> like they're not going to work today. They barely worked on me. Right. I mean, and, and it's these things that I think about the events and the programs. And like, I was talking to a friend the other day that they went to a, a non-denominational youth conference um, here in the city. And he was saying how, how much fun it was at the beginning. And like they had all these games and activities and attractive lights and music and thing. And then at the end they did like this sermon and he said it was so boring, yeah. like lost him completely. <laughs> and I, I keep thinking about this phrase that I, I don't remember where I heard. I think I heard it on a podcast, but it's like what you win them to with is what you win them to. Mm. If you win them with lights and music and games and activities and fun things, you're not winning them to Christ. You're winning them to these fun activities. And when those things go away, then they go away. Exactly. 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 So this idea of refocusing in youth, I think, I mean, honestly, like only one of your points in your article is technically dedicated to <laughs> youth, but really all of them kind of revolve around it. Yeah. 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 When I saw that stats, it was really, painful for mm. me yeah. as a young woman and I was looking at myself I was just looking at my local church what I've seen I am the only youth woman in my local church mm, I'm wow the only really one. I'm the only one wow and we used to be like 30 something yeah wow. I remember that like I don't know two years before and mm -hmm. I'm the only person yeah mm. I'm the only youth I'm curious, is that a pandemic thing? Have a lot of people- It was way people... more than that. Okay, it yeah. was starting before, before that. Before, yeah, mm -hmm. it was before that. And it's painful what I'm, mm -hmm. I cry when I see my, my church without youth. Mm -hmm. And it's only me and a teenager. And I think I, I am right now in a position to, to tell the church, you are losing us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And 
there is time to start focusing, as Chelsea was saying, on the youth because because we are going to be the ones that are going to pastor later on the church. Yeah. Like we are going to be the le the next leaders of the church, and if we are not today in the church, then what guarantees we're going to be in the future at the church? Mm. So yeah, it's striking to me. It, we we talked about Africa, the youngest region in in, the, in really mm -hmm. i mean outside of the church that the nazarene just in the world the youngest continent is africa and mm -hmm. it, i even put in the article Do you mean in their population the i'm youngest? sorry yeah the average age of their oh, population okay. yeah. yeah the average age of their population and so i even put in the article you know observing and i said africa tell us what your secret is you know like <laughs> we need to learn yeah. from you you know but i think we've focused on a few things they're not reliant aj they're not reliant on the building mm -hmm. they're uh and and we're probably we're probably seeing that they have empowered youth. Mm -hmm. They have said, mm -hmm. we already are a young continent. We already are our youth. So it's not just going to be ministering to them. Now they are the ministers. We're going to minister with them. They're going to be our leaders, you know? And I think it takes humility and, and really a, a depth of maturity for an adult that has some, so much experience to say, I will be led by a 21 year old, you know, literally I will have my pastor or my Sunday school teacher will be someone who has very little experience, but who I see something in them, you know, but that's where we need to go. That's what we need to do. I think we should also maybe, uh, uh, as we're finalizing uh, this episode, I think we also probably need to talk a little bit about giving. And we talked about property values and some other things, uh, but wor the World Evangelism Fund, hey, we have plenty of episodes talking about World Evangelism Fund, also known as WEF. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, the stats show us, uh, it, I should say, we in a pandemic only went down in overall giving 0.40%. Now guys, that's huge. Mm. In a pandemic, literally I was invited uh, to some scenario planning meetings. That's what they were called. Mm. And we were trying, I mean, they, they were like, what happens if we are down 15%? That was the optimistic possibility. Uh -huh. You know, what if we're wow. down 40% was the, or 45 was the like worst case scenario. We're down 0 0.4, 0.40, right? So anyway, saying that, that is awesome. At the same time, not everyone is participating. Did that grab anybody? That's something we pointed out. I think the last year when we did these stats, it was similar that about a third of the people don't give anything to WEF or to missions. And that's, that's still staggering, like nothing, like not even one cent, one dime, one peso, one, whatever your one money is, <laughs> not one. And if everyone would give something, it would make a huge, a huge difference. It doesn't have to be the 5.5% that's recommended, but just something would make a huge difference. I tend to think if we would sell the buildings that we're only using once a week. <laughs> AJ, get off your soapbox. And, and gave it to missions, that would be even a bigger difference, but just something. I think if we um, 
could find a way, and maybe this is, I could write an open letter to Global NMI, right? Yeah. Our missions arm of the church. Um, like, I almost feel like we need a rallying cry of why we need to give. And so almost mm. like, I can almost see like a, a huge project being formed of there are unreached people groups in these 10 different nations that we really need to start the work of the Church of the Nazarene. And in order to do it, we need whatever the amount of money is. And it means that everybody's giving or whatever. And like, you would be able to help people see where their dollars were going in missions. And I think one of the biggest uh, difficulties of explaining our missions strategy with our missions dollars is it's easy to say this goes to missionaries and missionaries are doing all the work. But the reality is those dollars support the entire strategy of missions all over the mm -hmm. world. So even though you're like, well, we only have 500 missionaries and why do you need so much money for the 500? Well, it doesn't all go to 500 missionaries. It goes to educational facilities. It goes to compassionate ministries. Ministries. It goes to theological education. Uh, it goes to hospitals. It, go it goes to so many mm. different things. And again, it goes back to that. We are a denomination that's old now. We're not a new mm -hmm. denomination. Mm -hmm. And so the bigger that our church grows, the more ministry that it has all over the world. If we want God to continue using Nazarenes all over the world, and I think every Nazarene would say everybody all over the world has the right to hear about Jesus. And we bring the message of holiness with us that send a Nazarene, start a Nazarene church in places where there aren't Nazarenes. They, they need to know Jesus. They need to be sanctified. They need to have this opportunity. If we all could become just a touch more passionate about people that literally have not heard the name of Jesus ever, ever in their life to be like, that breaks my heart. Then even one dollar, we should, every church should be able to say, are we giving anything so that somebody on the other side of the world that is not my neighbor, that is not my district, that is not my nation can come to know who Jesus is. And I think if we just had a little bit more understanding, and I know that a lot of it is like education and figure it out. And um, I just, I, I don't know what it's going to take. And obviously it brings me to tears. And I've given to missions forever. I've, since I was a little girl, I've been a part of the Nazarene church and been a part of missions giving since I was 13 years old. It's when I first started giving to missions in my local church. And I can't imagine the person that I would be today if I hadn't been given the opportunity as a young person to start a habit of giving to missions. And so maybe the challenge of this stat is instead of being like, oh, well, a third of us aren't giving, the challenge is allow people to participate. If you haven't even given them one opportunity this year, make it one opportunity for your people to participate. And if you're not the pastor, if you're not the NMI president, be the lay person that says, pastor, mm. I want to give a missionary offering. I want our church to be on the books and be the one that goes up and says it to your pastor or your missions president. Because sometimes it takes the local church being in action, mm -hmm. not just our leadership. Yeah. They're trying to sell the vision. Yeah. I sometimes also wonder like in regards to WEF, our local church here in the, in the DR gives over 5.5%. And they kind of never really think too much about WEF giving because it's built into their budget. But I've realized after like spending five years here, not, not an expert, but uh, enough that I've had enough conversations to realize that the concept of budgeting is not something that the average church knows um, or takes into consideration. And so like when we say 5.5%, if we could teach our, our church boards how to think ahead, like 
5.5% of everything that comes in is not part of our planning. So like, I don't know. I wonder how much education on the aspect of like church stewardship would help that WEF number increase. Mm. If our regions and our districts could really empower our boards to see why it's 5.5% or why they should give and how they can. Like, here's your numbers and this is what it means and you can still do all these awesome things. I know that we have some churches in crisis and they need dollars, right? But you can still give even in the midst of crisis. The church that we planted here in the Dominican Republic, uh, <laughs> I don't know that this is the way that I would do it, but they said, well, if we're going to do the 5.5%, we have to do it every week. So literally they're counting the offering. Mm. Right? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm looking at Esteban who is now recording. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll introduce him at some point. Um, but, uh, but literally they're counting the offerings and then they calculate immediately, whether it's then or like the very next day. And they say, what's 5.5% of that? Yeah. And so they deposit yeah. that to the district or, you know, and say, this is our WEF for this week. And I'm like, it would be easier to do like every month or it would be easier. But for them, they're like, we know we won't calculate it. Like yeah. we, we know yeah. We, yeah. it'll escape us. Right? right. And so they're like, we don't want that to happen. So we're going to be super intentional. Wow. And I think, and I think you're right. I think we need to help people to say, I think people want to give. Yeah. I really do. I think, I think people like being Nazarene. I think, I think, you know, missions is a, is a core value, but I think it's not, like you said, it's not in every culture's uh, DNA to just be like, we're going to budget. And even the 5.5%, it's not really a round number. Like it's not easy to just, ah, I know what it is right off the top, you know? And so uh, I think there are some things that we can do to help other world areas to, to come on board. And remember uh, several, several episodes ago, we had something called zero zeros. You guys remember that? Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. What if every church had no zeros, no zeros, they gave something to F literally we would send more missionaries. Literally mm. we'd be able to have more hospitals and institutions, mm. Emily, like no zeros, zero zeros. Let's do it. Let's bring it back folks. <laughs> Hashtag zero zeros. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, we, we've gone a little bit longer than we normally do. Uh, I blame Scott because he loves stats. I do love stats. <laughs> I, I, I was just thinking it's my fault. Yes. Um, but uh, dear listener, you are hearing this and obviously we hope this was interesting, but we also, we want to focus on a call to action. What of these, and maybe you can visit the, the, the article will be in our show notes or at least the link, but what of these, what have we talked about after you read, maybe what jumps out at you and, and you say from my level, and maybe you don't have an established role in your district or country or whatever, but, but like you are an agent of change. If you're listening to this, thank you, first of all, and you, that means God's cultivating something in you, uh, desiring something from you, calling you to something. So, um, so take one thing, one thing and say, you know what, I'm going to pray and be more focused on, on youth. Uh, I, I'm going to, to actually come alongside some, uh, a teenager or a child, you know, and, and help mentor them and guide them and encourage them. And maybe, maybe you say, you know, let's pray for Africa and Asia and some of these places where it's really difficult to be a Christian, but somehow, some way amidst persecution, uh, they are growing, you know, uh, whatever it is, maybe it's the giving of course that we just talked about, but whatever it is, uh, don't let this be just an interesting time 
to, to listen, but also a time to put into practice. I think that is it, man, uh, talking about stats. I always get worked up and excited. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys. But we are the worthless servants and I'm Scott Armstrong. I'm AJ Fry. I'm Natalie Franco. I'm Chelsea Fry. And I'm Emily Armstrong. And we will talk with you next time. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at mesoamericagenesis.org.